been a little bit of a busy week, so we're going to go old school, and there is no PowerPoint today. I will just have to uh, do things the old-fashioned way and actually read the verses out of the Bible. Um, so I hope you guys can put up with that. Discuss kind of the ability for uh, the human ability to hear something or see something and take the wrong thing from it. And those of you who have children know what I'm talking about. Um, but it's not really just the kids. Uh, if you, especially if something relies on tone of voice. If you ever get the email or the text and you, you automatically assume that, that something was spoken with. I, they, they gave me this nasty note. And then you find out that there wasn't. And you were really worried that there was this nasty thing. Because we have this automatic ability to, to just assume the wrong thing. Something that wasn't intended or whatever. We can take, uh, just as people, we can take the wrong thing. Uh, you, you, you do the, This happens with kids too. Uh, where, uh, somewhat differently, where you'll say, listen, we're... Um, if we do this, if you clean your rooms, or if you do this, we can go out for ice cream or something. Just fill in the blank, whatever that is. And all they heard was, we can go out for ice cream. Uh, this room hasn't been touched. Yeah, but you said we could go out for ice cream. You heard one part of that. You heard the wrong part of that. Right? You only heard the one half of that. And so uh, we, we do this. Um, how many glasses of water are you supposed to drink a day? Eight glasses of water. You know, that's not true. Uh, you can overhydrate yourself. Uh, that comes from a 1945 FDA <laughs> document. Uh, they don't have the brightest um, history. Uh, anyway... Um, but it was, there was a, there's more to that document. Uh, that document said that actually most of that volume of water is in your prepared food. So if you, if you make rice, from, then you put like two-thirds of that is actually water when you make rice. So, so if you eat a cup of rice, you've had two-thirds of a cup of water. And most of your water, you probably don't need to drink. I've heard three. Who said three? Yeah, you're right. You probably at the most need in our environment. Now, there is another document which a lot of people quote, which is that sets eight as the minimum. And it was a military document talking about like if you're in the desert and, and like, like in Iraq, they drink sometimes eight liters a day. Because it all, it's all in your mind. But guess what? People read that document, whichever one, and they saw the one thing. We see the one thing. And this happens when we talk about worship. Uh, we, we just see the one thing sometimes, and we don't read the whole bit around it. And it's important for us to read the whole bit around it, because we can take the one thing, and sometimes it's the wrong thing. And if it's not wrong, it's, a, it's not supposed to be the only thing. 
We do this with church teachings, by the way. <clears throat> I'm just going to show you how this has been done. We're, we're going to get to our main topic of worship, but I just want to show you just a couple of times. One is found in Acts chapter 2. Right? Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 4 through 6. I'll just give you some illustrations, kind of to set up where we're going. So in, in verse 4, he says, <clears throat> All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And people stop right there and take the one thing. You know, a lot of religions in our world have taken this, and they have not read the rest of the surrounding context, because the rest of the surrounding context says, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking their own language. But, but there are people that they just saw the one thing speaking in tongues, and didn't read the rest of the story. That, that's, that's an illustration of how people see the wrong thing. They, they, they come to a wrong conclusion because they only took the one part. Here's another one. In Mark chapter 16, verse uh, 15 and 16. Again, this is probably one you're familiar with. <clears throat> You've heard this. This is a slightly different way that, that people hear the wrong thing. Mark 16, 15, and 16, you said to them, Go into the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, there's a lot of people in our religious world that have heard the last half of that sentence. They heard, Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And they have performed a logical exercise. Well, if you don't believe, you'll be condemned. That means if you do believe, you won't be condemned. That's a logical fallacy called denying the antecedent. Um, and what they do with that is they subtract the first statement. They, they read half of it, and they actually get rid of the first statement that Jesus sets up the whole verse with, which is, he who believes and baptized shall be saved. That's the, that's the positive statement. And they take the second part of that, focus on, they, they see the wrong thing, and get rid of the first part with logic. And we can do that. Our minds are very capable of, of seeing the wrong thing. This is clean your room. We'll go get ice cream. Great God, let's, let's go get the ice cream. Wait, wait, I said, go clean your room. And so I want to talk about worship today. And we're going to turn to a passage about worship or about an expression of worship. There's a lot more in this. And sadly, a lot of times we have these verses I've mentioned before, how we have these verses that, that we go to for one reason and one reason only. And then there's so much more in these verses. If we would just read the, all of the verses, we, would, we could break it down, but, but this verse it only means this, and when I want to argue this point, this is all we use it for. We're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about the audience of worship, and I know that you're like, wait a minute, that's, this is a pretty easy subject to talk about, uh, that should be pretty quick, and, uh, but, but we're going to actually see it's a little bit more complex than, uh, than a quick look. And so I want to turn to Colossians 
There's a very similar passage in Ephesians chapter 5, but we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to read verse 16 and 17. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And this is a passage that gets used simply for arguing about expressions of worship. That's what the purpose here is. That's why God put it in the Bible, so we could argue about it. That was my sarcasm font, if you didn't get that. (laughs) But I want to talk about the audience of worship, because that's a lot more about what this is. And and as we talk about the audience of worship, it's it's actually then going to talk about some of the, the concepts of worship underneath that, because the appropriate, there's an with each audience of worship, there's an accompanying characteristic, I guess, of worship. And this is only referencing one one expression. There are many expressions. By the way, there's a lot more than five. We're just going to mention one. It's a satisfactory to, to establish a point. So there's our obviously. Obviously there's our primary audience. Who's the primary audience of worship? He says to God. To God. God is my primary audience. And so this is satisfactory to, as I say, establish several points. He is the main consideration. God is the main consideration of why I'm going to do whatever I do in the name of worship. God is the one who is the primary audience. All other things are going to come after that, but that's he's not exclusively the audience, and that's important. Why it's important to conclude that God is the primary audience audience first of all he's obviously the highest in order of existing beings but if we understand that concept that god is the primary audience then it will limit us in terms of how we express when our logic takes us where we should not go. Let me give you an example. We have a lot of values, and a lot of those values are good values. They're right to consider. They're things we should consider. We say the church will grow if we do this. Should we, as Christians, be considered if the church will grow? Yes. That's a function of the church. But if I say we as a church will grow if I do this, and the, this violates other, like, like we read in, in, in uh, Acts, people who have taken kind of the wrong view of Acts, chapter 2, verse 4 through 6. Boy, that's all exciting. We can run around and run flags, and we can shake, rattle, and roll, and we can just do all sorts of crazy stuff. And the 
people will come in the doors. Whoa, 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 whoa. Back up. And let's remember who the primary audience is. And let's see if the primary audience wants that. And if the primary audience wants that, then we can proceed to step two. But the primary audience, God, did not want that because he stated some other things in there that identify what that really looked like. And so it's important to establish the primary audience. Revelation chapter 14. Revelation 14 and verse 7. We then have to bring into the concept my motives. Motives are important with my primary audience. He said in a loud voice, Revelation 14, 7, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. Worship, the concept of worship is around the idea of bringing glory to God. Worship is, we talked about what worship means last week. To bow, to, to, to submit, to empty yourself. That's worship. And so the bringing glory to God is worship. It's exalting God. This is why there's a lot more than five expressions of it, because everything you can do, everything you can do that brings glory to God is worship. Everything you do that brings glory to God is worship. He defines that. He is the primary audience. Focusing on expressions, this is going to be hard. Focusing on the expressions of worship in any text that we read is going to eventually make us hypocritical. Maybe, maybe hypocritical is not the right word. Maybe I should say inconsistent because hypocritical kind of suggests a motive that I'm not intending to be authentic. So let's say inconsistent. I want to look at Titus, chapter 2, verse 8, just to see some some illustrations. Titus, chapter 2, verse 8. He says, um, that's the wrong one. Just a second. I'll find it. <coughs> Just a moment. These glasses, I need, I think, better ones. <coughs> what did I write down? It's a wonderful verse, it's just not the one I need. 
I'm going to find it. I'll find it here. Yeah, here we go. First Timothy. First Timothy chapter two, verse eight. I want men everywhere. That sounds a pretty positive statement, right? Is that, is that hard to understand what he wants? God says, I want men everywhere to, pretty easy, lift up holy hands in prayer without anger and disputing. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. Is that, is that, that's not a hard commandment, is it? Why are we inconsistent? We, we look at expressions of worship and say, well, God, this is easy. God wants us to do this. Now, I have seen people lift up holy hands or whatever kind of hands they got in song. And God said, I, I never asked for any hands up in songs. I never asked for that. I said, I said, prayer. So the, even the ones that kind of kind of do it, kind of do it the wrong way. Why, why, why don't we do this? Don't we understand that the emphasis here was not on the expression of worship? Don't we understand that the emphasis was on the word holy? That they were already lifting hands in prayer? That's what they did? That not everybody does that? Not that God's not opposed to it. But he said they were doing that. He's like, I would rather you do this with holy. Because that's the part that he clarifies. The part that he clarifies has to do with the holiness. It doesn't have to do with the hands. He didn't say, I, I desire that you do them, uh, uh, lift up the holy hands in prayer and make sure you get them all the way up. You know, like none of this stuff. This is kind of half, half hard. You know, or here, or one. He doesn't, he doesn't elaborate on the expression or on the form of the expression. He elaborates on the heart. And that illustrates what he's trying to accomplish. They were already doing. He didn't have to express or tell them what to express. He says, wait a minute. Without anger or disputing. That's the specific, apparently, that's the specific problem with holiness that they were having. He's like, you come in here and, and you're praying to me and you're, you're, you're doing all these wonderful things and expressing your worship and you can't get along with each other. I want you to be holy when you do it and get along. That's why. It's not. But see, if we're focusing, if we're running around the scriptures trying to focus on all the expressions, then we become inconsistent because we'll do something over here. We'll say, see, he's about the expression over here. And then we get to this one. Why aren't we doing this one? We won't get into verse 9. <clears throat> That's your little homework. Why don't we greet each other with a holy kiss? Greet each other with a holy kiss. That's a statement. Boom. Do it. Why? I don't know. It's an expression. He said do it. No. Same idea. Holy. It was their tradition to greet this way. They already had that tradition. He wasn't saying, okay, listen... <laughs> These are the rules for the kiss. It's got to be like this. Not what he was about. He was not about the expression. That was their expression. 
That's their custom. We are European descendants. <laughs> give me my give me my space. No kissing. But it was the holiness that he wanted. Same concept, I'll bet. I bet it was still the unity that he was concerned about. You come in and you do all these expressions of fellowship and all this wonderful stuff. And underneath it, you don't really get along. None of this really is about the expression. And so this goes back to the same thing we talked about in John. A little bit different. We're a little bit different, but where this woman wanted to talk about expressions. And where is the right place to do it? And what is the right time and all the formalities of worship? And he's like, spirit and truth. Concepts. That's what I'm trying to teach you that worship is. And what worship is about. It is not about expressions of worship. When we, we look at all these verses and we run through and try to establish the right Expressions. Yes, there are things that we can do in our expressions that violate concepts. And we'll look a little bit more at some of those. <clears throat> we don't have time to go through all of those. We add some, by the way. Close your eyes when you pray. And Jesus lifted up his eyes into heaven and what? We just add stuff. Well, there is, as I say, another audience. We go back to Colossians. Excuse me. We go back to Colossians chapter 3. Verse 16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach it and admonish one another. Now, different audience, so different thing happening. I'm not, I'm not worshiping you. We don't worship each other, but there is another audience. And so because it's a different audience, there's a different thing happening. As I said, there's an appropriate characteristic underlying what we do, but, but we are worshiping God. We're, we're giving glory to God. We're thanking God. All those different characters, characteristics, but, but there is another audience in here. He says to one another. We're teaching one another. Ephesians it, it does the same thing. It has the same structure. It says primarily to God, but th- now there's another, n- another audience. And, and I've heard us say, you know, we, we come in, and I know we want to emphasize God because He is the primary audience. We so, say, well, well, it's not about, and I, I know why we say this because sometimes we come when we are in some expression of worship, and people talk about, you know, it's not about how professional we sound. Some people want to focus on how great you sound, and 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 we we say, God doesn't care. God doesn't care. It's not about you. It's not about you. 
We're on shaky ground when we start to say that because he says, listen, we are a part of this audience. Worship is to God, but for the benefit of others. It's a slight difference. Worship is for the benefit. Otherwise, why would we do anything out loud at all? God can hear me just fine if I'm quiet. So why do anything out loud? Because there's somebody else that's a benefit. There are others that are benefiting. Five times, the book of Psalms says, make a joyful noise. I think those are from Psalms 95 through 100. If you want another homework assignment, you can read those. Some interesting reading. Interesting reading there. But we focus on expression, and that, as I said, can lead to inconsistency. We teach and admonish one another. We're not the audience the same way as God. I'm not bowing down to you. I'm not honoring you. That's God's. But expressions of worship are directed towards God in a way that leads others closer. So you say, where's the inconsistency? It is found in this phrase. In, or, or potential inconsistency is found in this phrase. One another. One another. What does that phrase mean? One another. It means literally one to another. An individual to an individual. There is a section of the the, the longest section in our Bible that deals with expression or in the New Testament that deals with expressions of worship is found beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and it runs through 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It is a long section about expressions of worship and specifically in the context of our gathering together. I mean, it covers the Lord's Supper, it covers singing, it covers teaching, it covers all sorts of expressions of worship. It's a good text. But I'm not sure we might agree with everything. Because when we focus on the expression itself and not the stuff underneath it, we can, it, it can lead us to inconsistencies. I want to look at a couple of passages. As we look at the human audience. One is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Verse 26 and 27. What shall we say? I want you to keep, by the way, keep in, the, in your mind the phrase one to another. Keep that in your mind from Colossians and also in Ephesians. What shall we say then, brothers, when you come together 
every one individual has a hymn, a word of instruction, edification, remember? Exhortation and admonishing from Colossians. A revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. All these must be done for the strengthening of the church, secondary audience. There's really no difference. These are the same passage. One, two, another. Do you know, I'm not saying it's wrong. We don't have a single scripture that absolutely says that we sing at the same time. There's not a single verse that describes singing together. I'm not saying it's not in there. I'm not saying that they didn't do it. I'm just saying we don't have a single scripture that ever describes that. We only have scriptures that describe a person saying, I would like to share a song with you today. This is why we, and this is how we would edify one another. When was the last time you saw that? I saw it yesterday. I saw it yesterday. We have a sister who wrote a book of poems. They're all based on the book of Psalms. And people came up and shared in remembrance of a, of a deceased family member, read a psalm, and edified a group of people from Scripture. We closed out a service with, with, a, with a, a lady, uh, um, Charity, I think her name was. A lot of you, you know, used to be a member here that lives a little bit away as now. Came up and, and, and sung Kneel at the Cross. Was it Kneel at the Cross? No. Which one? The Old Rugged Cross. See, that was close. Sang the Old Rugged Cross. Edifying. One to another. Inconsistency. We've never done that. Why? Why don't we share with each other? I, I, I'm not going to assign you, like, listen, next week, Tim, you're up there. <laughs> That's not the question. The question is why would why have we allowed a culture that we would not want to do that? Where if we were going to do that, I would have to hand out assignments. <coughs> what is the culture that we stopped edifying one another? The same culture that stopped lifting hands to God in prayer? <clears throat> very quickly, I want to talk about our third audience. Very, very, very briefly. It's in the same chapter, 14. 
because this is important. Verse 23 through 25. He says, if the whole church come together and everyone spoke in tongues and some didn't understand or some unbelievers come in. And doesn't understand. While everybody is prophesying or doing this. He's talking about pandemonium where everyone was trying to do this at the same time and disordered. And he says an unbeliever comes in and doesn't understand what's going on because you guys are. He's, he's, he, and that's exactly what he says. Won't he say you're nuts? <laughs> I mean, that's what he says. But, verse 25 says, if, if it was in order, he's, he will be convicted by all. That he's a sinner and he'll be judged by all. And the secrets of his heart would be laid bare. And he will fall down and worship. Third audience. But it's others, it's the second audience. But, but that our worship, that the things that we do have a third benefit, that it can cause other people to worship. If they see genuineness, if they see truth, if they see these concepts underneath what we're doing, and not a focus on on all the expressions of it and the forms of it, if they're really impacted by what we're doing, it can cause a person, did you read that? To fall down on their face. Worship. It will cause a person to, <coughs> I've never seen that in church. Is it a cause a person to fall down and to want to be a different person? That, that's what our worship could do. It's what our expressions of worship could do if they were that deep. If we were that in touch with God and with each other. That's what our expressions could do. This is powerful stuff. I want to take our minds off of the expressions. And look at what's really underneath. I'm only going to leave you with this idea that, that we, we check the reality. We talk about reality checks. Well, we sometimes I think, think we need to check, check our reality. To look at what we do, what's in what we do, and compare it to what God asks to be in what we do. I'm going to turn it over.